When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, our draft recap. Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Lamery, Scott Patsko, Ashley Bastock, and I recap everything that happened this weekend. Uh, our favorite picks, biggest winners, biggest losers, things we'd change about the draft, it's all coming up here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. If you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you missed a lot this weekend. You should give it a shot. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Get info, get signed up, get that newsletter delivered to your inbox. Access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns and become one of our text subscribers. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and please leave us some five-star reviews. Say some nice things about us if you like the podcast. We'd really appreciate that as well. Okay, enough from me, at least here in this part. Uh, here is our draft recap on the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. Here we go, recapping the 2022 NFL Draft for the Cleveland Browns. We've got the whole crew here. We're going to roundtable it. Uh, So, look, let's just get right to it. I want to hear everyone's favorite picks this weekend. So, Mary Kay, why don't you go first? What was your favorite pick of the Cleveland Browns this weekend? You know what? I keep coming back to Perrion Winfrey, and that might be a a lot of people's, but uh, I'm just going to keep coming back to to Perion. I think for this, like I said on our video yesterday, I think uh, in part because, you know, I had him, I was looking at him as a possibility, even at number 44. And some draft experts, including uh, Dane Brugler, had him with a second round grade. And I actually watched him at the senior bowl. I watched him be very dominant in bull rushing people and blowing through some good offensive linemen at the senior bowl during some practices. So, uh, you know, I came into this thinking that, that he was really good, but not really sure uh, if he was, you know, considered more of a defensive tackle or, or what the thought was going to be there. So um, I, I really like what he brings to the table. And let me say that um, I was looking at some grades from the 33rd team that includes some former Browns execs, Joe Banner, Tannenbaum, and he said he fell because of character concerns. So I actually made some phone calls today and uh, tried to report that out a little bit. And I couldn't find anybody that had any character concerns about Perry on Winfrey. And I talked to a number of, you know, a number of people that would know. And, um, and they, they were perfectly fine from a, from a character standpoint. I also hunted around a little bit to see if there was anything that I could find. And I couldn't find anything. So he remains my favorite pick. And here's another major reason why. I think the Browns need to bring the fire. He brings the fire. Now, say what you will about Ray Lewis. And I, I hate to use that as an example because he's got, uh, you know, issues that, uh, that trouble a lot of people. So I hate to use him as an example, but somebody like that. I think the Browns needed somebody to fire up this team. When we, even when we sat with like the, the law firm of Emerson, Wright and Bell yesterday, and they were sitting up there in front of us, I was thinking, can we please show these guys the Perry on Winfrey video so they can kind of get a little fired up? I was ready to run, run through a wall in, uh, in Berea yesterday. 
So I think he brings the juice. I think they need the juice. I like the pick. Yep. Perry on at 108 was, I mean, he was going 44. Did anyone else? I, I did those weekly mocks we did. I There were a couple or at least one where I had Perry on Winfrey at 44. So, I mean, you've got to at least like the value of this. Now there's also the other side of it, which is like, well, if he was supposed to go in that range, why didn't he? And Mary Kay, you sort of indicated what it could have been. So there's always that sort of, I guess we'll see, but the value of this pick, I mean, it's hard to argue with. And, and Doug, it was a clear need. Yeah. And I do like those tackle end guys, right. Who seem like they have some versatility there. He also, I think made his way through one of my mock drafts, maybe more like at 78, but it does feel like value. Listen, the character stuff. I, I mean, I obviously Mary Kay is the one reporting this stuff out sometimes with this stuff. I, I do. So if so, someone raises character concerns and Mary Kay reports it out and says, no, that doesn't really seem to be anything. And so then it's good value at 108. And I agree with that. But then it's like, but then George Pickens had character concerns that said the Browns weren't going to pick him. It is one of those things. I don't necessarily just buy the idea of if your team picks him, then there aren't character concerns or then it's okay. But if they don't pick the guy, then they were right to lean into those. You know what I mean? The character concerns and everything gets lumped in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's a bad pick. I'm still hung up on not trick on not picking George Pickens, but like, so we'll have to see, but at 108, that's a very different world, right? All of this is about value in the end. If they would have just stayed at 44 and taken Perry on Winfrey, would we be saying it's a good pick? probably not we'd be like a tackle at 44 is that what they really need but then i mean he brings he raises the level of the trade because he comes in the trade down and so that i think in the end uh i understand i think 108 is the key he's a right guy at 108 because if it doesn't work out for some reason it's not the end of the world but it feels like a good a good merge of value upside risk positional need at that spot i mean had the Honestly, had they taken him at 44, I would have been okay with it. I would have had rather had one of those receivers. And, and you know, I think this is still something that that's going, you know, we'll, we'll get into kind of assessing the entire draft here a little later, but like, that's part of the story, right? Is, is how some of these receivers they didn't take at 44 develop versus the guy that they did ultimately take and, and how Perry and Winfrey um, develops. But Scott, I, I mean, how would you have felt about Perry and Winfrey at, at 44? I would have been really surprised. I would have been surprised if Andrew Barry took a defensive tackle that high. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we, we're all we're all kind of making our, our predictions and, and kind of talking about mocks based on big boards, whether it's ours or someone else's we're working off of. Nobody knows what the Browns is or any of these NFL teams, what their big boards look like. And they all have specific uh things that they're looking for trait wise that we might not be you know as knowledgeable about and i think that kind of thing came up with like some of the guys they took later um or even even their first pick um emerson like just because you look at that person in college you think well he wasn't very dynamic or mike woods you know that guy is very dynamic but how they're used with their teams how the browns want to use them I mean, that all plays into it. And I think when you're looking at where people you feel people should go, um, 
a lot of other teams just might not have that high a value on it. So, you know, that could be a reason why someone like Winfrey drops. Um, sure looks good to a lot of people. It might not look good to the Browns, might not look good to a lot of teams. And then the next thing you know, he's, he's fallen to the fourth round. So I like where they took him. I would have, would not have been happy though. <laughs> if, if I'm a Browns fan, I'm not happy that they take a tackle at 44. Not at all. Ashley, what about you? Yeah, Dan, I know you wrote this story kind of right about how we're, we're learning now with some stability with this regime, like what this front office wants in terms of draft picks. And I think this weekend, like we really saw that where I don't know that many people were expecting them to, like Scott was saying, take a cornerback with their first pick, right? But they value that position very highly. It is a premium position for them analytically. Uh, and they said, essentially, we can never have enough corners who we feel like are good corners. Um, so I think too, with, we've talked about defensive tackle with them and how we know already it's a position, like they're not willing to go out and spend a premium on in free agency, given how money is allocated throughout the rest of their defense. The more, like I thought about throughout the week and everything, I'm like, I don't know that they would take this number 44 pick and spend it on a defensive tackle. Like, I don't know if they totally get the value in that, even if a guy like Logan Hall was available, who I did put there in one of my mock drafts. And then I was rethinking it almost immediately. So I, I do think in terms of value and another guy who, I mean, there's another guy here that I don't want to say any names before we get to him, because I'm sure he's going to come up that he fell in a way that I understand why the Browns saw the value to take him when they did. And I think that's just kind of how this front office works. And we'll get more and more, I guess, understanding of that, the more drafts they go through together. All right, Scott, your favorite. Oh, go ahead, Doug. I, I just, uh, I just looked at the PFF numbers real quick on where he lined up last year. He, he, much, much, much more tackle at end. Four hundred and eight snaps at tackle, fifty-one at end. So maybe can slide out a little bit, but definitely tackle first. Yeah, and it, you know they were they were pretty clear yesterday. Um, you know they see him as a three technique who can kind of pressure up the middle. Um, that that's certainly where he's going to start uh, for sure with this team. Uh, Scott, your favorite pick. I want to make sure I get this name, this name right. Uh, Amari Jerome Cooper Ford. That's my favorite pick of the draft. Um, fifth rounder, the only guy drafted who came in with seven years of experience. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that uh, Amari Cooper, fifth, fifth round pick for that guy. Not bad. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I guess I would go with Cade York. I mean, Perry Winfrey is, is an easy choice. He, Cade York, we did polls after the, each pick, and Winfrey and York were the only Browns picks to get A's from whoever was voting, I'll assume they were mostly Browns fans, but Cade York like crushed He had like over 70% of the vote as an A Browns fans just loved the fact that they drafted Cade York. Can I, can uh, I just interrupt and say, I think this podcast might have something to do with that. <laughs> our, G yeah, our, GM, up into a frenzy. our GM was very high. Tim yes. was very high. We had a lot of people in our war room that I think that a was uh, not coincidental. Just the fact that Browns fans seem to be happiest about a kicker that the team drafted is just very, it's very new era Browns. I think uh, everybody would be best served if we get past that, but uh, I guess that's where we are right now. Everybody loves the fact that they drafted the kicker. Doug, I, I had to laugh because um, you wrote something about Browns fans, you know, wearing kicker jerseys. And the funny thing is like when you go to Baltimore Ravens games and the Baltimore Ravens have like legit hall of famer, like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed. I mean, we can just go through and just name a million Baltimore Ravens jerseys that a fan could buy. 
whether it's a current player or a, a player from their very brief history. And yet there are still just a ton of Justin Tucker jerseys at M&T Bank Stadium when you go to a game there. So, Doug, you might be on to something here if Cade York pans out. Yeah, they have an MVP on the roster that you can buy in Baltimore. Current MVP <laughs> yes. on the roster. And some people buy Justin Tucker. So, uh, yeah, I understand. I mean, there, it was such need. Um, he's, he's the right guy. I actually, I, I'm, I'm moderately interested in the discussion about did they take him at the right spot and the cost that they, the cost of taking him there mm-hmm. versus if you try to wait a little bit. But um, I, I, it doesn't just feel, it doesn't feel like as, there's not, there's just not picks that jump. Listen, a couple of years ago, DPJ in the sixth round kind of jumped off the draft to us, right? I mean, it's not maybe because it's an easy evaluation. He's at Michigan. He's a former five-star. You wonder if the talent's still there. You see how maybe he wasn't utilized in the best way. Wow, I could see how I love that pick in the sixth round. And there just aren't as many of those in this draft. I mean, along the lines to Scott, using what Mary Kay was talking about the other week about how, you know, future picks are valued less than current picks and then trying to use an updated version that someone had put out there, the Jimmy Johnson draft value chart. I roughly calculated that their first round pick got them like 44% of Deshaun Watson. So maybe you could say their best pick in this draft is getting the 44% of Deshaun Watson. And then they have two more future ones and the threes and the fours, right? That it is Scott's point that, they use picks in this draft to get two veterans really in the end might be the best usage of draft picks in 2022. You know, the Very- thing about Cade York going at, um, at 124, I, I like it there. I, I like it there. Well, obviously I like it there. And you guys know that I do because I made the case for taking him at 99. But when you think about it, 124 is not that much later than 99. So even though I sounded like a lunatic uh, <laughs> advocating taking him at 99, uh, 124 is really not that much later, obviously. Uh, so I, I liked it there because, you know, if you take the risk of waiting to 156, you, you might lose him. Everybody kind of knows that the Browns really needed him. And I, I think, you know, somebody might have traded up or somebody might have done something, uh, you know, to, to jump them there uh, and that he might not have been. So I have no problem with, with him at 24. Does anybody? No. And he, you know, after they picked him, there was kind of that. And Andrew Barry talked about it yesterday, I think a little bit. There was kind of a mini run on the specialists that happened. So I do think this was probably the right spot before him. And then right before I got on, I asked the texters, you know, just threw out this question to them or text subscribers, who was their favorite pick? Almost everyone is saying Cade York or Perry and Winfrey. So those are the two. It's, it's understandable, I think, why he is so popular. I think this town, the fan base, much like it appreciates, I think, good offensive linemen, it appreciates consistent kickers because of Bill Dawson. So um, I think for a lot of people looking at what Cade York did in college, now obviously he played in a lot of nice weather, so that's going to be a question, I think. But um I just think for the first time, there's really like maybe this light at the end of the tunnel with, oh, we maybe can have some kind of consistency there again for the first time since Phil Dawson. Does anyone think they would have taken him at 108 if Perion wouldn't have been there? Maybe. There's a chance. I don't know. Yeah. We have proof that 108 would have been too early because he was there at 124. So 108 would have been too early. And 90, like taking him at 99, you're giving up. 
we think, do we think David Bell's going to play a lot for the Cleveland Browns this year as they try to make yeah. the playoffs? We all do, right? You're giving up David Bell to take Cade York. That's why, I, like, that's not, that's not it. That's not worth it. And, like, you can only go by what you have proof of. So, yes, there was a run on specialists. No other kickers got picked. It wasn't a run on kickers. It was a run on punters. So, 124, we, it, it still might be too early. And here's the point that I want to make. Between 124 and 156, Jerome Ford goes at 156. 13 skill position guys got taken. Running backs, tight ends, and receivers between those two picks. Among the guys taken in there at receiver, Calvin Austin the third by the Steelers, Mary Kay's guy. Could have had him instead of Cade York if you think you can get Cade York at 156. Khalil Shakur, wasn't he one of your guys, Dan? Receiver, yeah, the guy that came Scott, up. I think Scott at one point had him too. A couple tight ends I liked, including Charlie Kolar who went to the Ravens, who I wrote about in mock drafts all the time. He got taken. Hassan Haskins, a nice running back from Michigan, who I think is better than Jerome Ford. So they're 13. If they wanted, hey, let's, let's add some depth at our skill position. There's 13 guys that they could have had instead of Cade York, and then you take Cade York instead of Jerome Ford. I think Jerome Ford is a very average pick. And I think there were that's a level of, like, I think you can find guys like Jerome Ford on the street. I Like, would you rather have Calvin Austin and then Cade York? Or would you rather have Cade York and then Jerome Ford? I know what I'd rather have. So they got their guy. They needed a kicker. I get it. 124, there's only two kickers in the last 16 years who got taken higher than 124. So what? What? how can you argue against it? Maybe you would have gotten taken at 125. We'll never know. But it's on the edge of early. It And I think there was a window the window of skill guys that can actually give you a little juice, I think evaporated between 124 and 156. And that's the cost of Cade York. Is it worth it? Anything's worth it to make sure Chase McLaughlin's not your kicker. <laughs> but I think it's possible that they edged early and cost themselves a skill guy who could have helped. So I like the Cade York pick. But if someone wants to say, Woo, 124, that seems a little hot. It might have been. Well, I think they're also telling us, and we had this discussion on the um, on the War Room pod. Do we think Cade York is significantly better than the rest of the kickers in this draft? And I think by not messing around and deciding they were just going to get the guy and not worry about, eh, maybe we'll get Dicker the kicker later or whatever. Or we'll sign one of these guys off the street if they don't get drafted. They, I think they made it pretty clear that they think Cade York is like the the guy in this draft to get. And maybe they had some intelligence that told them, like, somebody, if we don't take him, somebody's going to before we get a chance. What about this... kickoffs, though? I, I don't know that he, he's going to kick off, and I think, it, I think that's important. He's got to learn how to do that. He did a couple times at LSU, because um, I went searching for that, uh, and people were impressed when he did. Okay. <laughs> um, now, directionally, being able to land it, you know, between the – the goal line and the, and the 10, who knows, but mm. as far as having um, the length to just, you know, all right, we're just going to make people start at the 25. Then I, yeah. he can, he can clearly do that. Well, I, th I think, I think prefer wants the directional stuff. Yeah. But yeah. at the same, you know what, honestly, I, if your punter can do it, I don't care. I, it does. I don't care if it's your punter or your kicker doing it. Right. Yeah. I was going to bring up Prefer like quickly because after they took Cade York yesterday, I like went back and I knew we had asked Mike Prefer about 
you know, hypothetically drafting a kicker because this was back in January. So it was all in the context of what Evan McPherson was doing for the Bengals. Right. And like, he just made multiple comments about Dan to your earlier point that like, they're not just going to draft somebody just to draft somebody. Like there were all these things like mentally, these intangibles that it sounds like they obviously really value but that, that kind of makes me think, like you said, Dan, like that this was their guy and they were not going to be content with just kind of waiting and seeing if the market fell. And, oh, well, we'll take Dicker the kicker if Cade York's gone, because maybe that wasn't their guy for whatever reason. This is a very patient front office. You know, when I what I wrote yesterday was like, we kind of know what how this team drafts and it's usually very patient. They look for value. They're pretty efficient. So uh, the fact that they jumped and got this guy at one at 124, I think is telling. So Ashley, who's your favorite pick? Well, I know in our Bree report video yesterday, I did say Cade York, but I'm going to say another name for the sake of conversation as well, because I did like this pick. It felt very much like a Browns pick. And that is, let's talk about David Bell, because we've been saying all weekend, this is like the prime example of an Andrew Berry pick. He is young. He had high production in college. He did not test well, obviously, at the combine or at his pro day where there were some adverse conditions, but they think he has the traits to kind of fill in that slot role here and some versatility that they like. So I think that's the prime example of them sticking to their board and finding value when a guy dropped. And I think like Doug said on a podcast this weekend, he really the only reason he dropped is because of those poor testing numbers, which they think they can work with. So We'll, we'll see, right? Like, it's not like a total anomaly for guys to test poorly and then, you know, perform poorly later on in their careers. It does happen, but um, it's, it's not totally unheard of either. So I do think this is a good pick for where they got him. So yeah, David, okay, go ahead, Mary Kay. I was going to say, you know, as we go through the next uh, few years, we're, we're going to look at uh, and they did pick up, they did get good value. I mean, when you look at the trade down, uh, you know, we will be able to say, oh, okay, well, they got Perry on Winfrey and they got Cade York because they did that. But they also, uh, you know, they also traded away from some pretty good darn receivers. We've talked about George Pickens a lot and we can go back and forth over that. Um, George Pickens was one of them. John Mechie was one of them. Uh, Sky Moore was one. Alec Pierce was one. Um, so they did trade down away from some of these good guys. Now, if David Bell, and I wrote about some of this today, if David Bell turns out to be as or more productive than these guys, then, then it's a terrific trade because that's really, you know, what you kind of gave up was a chance to get a Sky Moore or someone like that. What does David Bell need to be? Like if he's Rashard Higgins, Scott, here he goes right in your wheelhouse. If David Bell is Rashard Higgins, is that good enough? Which year? Yeah. Twenty eight. Good, good. Not talking about Rashard Higgins. I, I just sort of what what we've, you know, Rashard Higgins maybe not at the very peak, but like what we think Rashard Higgins can be. I mean, I, I think their strategy right now with with wide receiver is similar to what they did with linebacker a couple of years ago, or even defensive line over the last couple of years is they just want a lot of possibilities and yeah, they passed up certain guys uh, by trading down. But I think one of the things they said is they've had like a similar grade for a lot of people. And I took that as David bell being close to a lot of the guys that they passed up on, at least on their board. 
uh, and having extra picks is always going to have more value to the Browns than just taking that guy in the second round or, or whatever. Um, you know, it, there was one point where they had six picks in the third and fourth rounds. And I think that mattered more to them. So they get to, you know, they get to where they took David Bell and they must've felt good about him. Now what he turns out to be, you know, I, I don't know if there's, he's going to get his opportunities. And I think that's the only thing you can really expect from this. Um, I don't know that he has to play to a certain level necessarily, but I mean, they, they drafted another wide receiver late. So that's, it just seems like they, they're really going for, for quantity here and hoping that they have the right combination of guys to, to put together a good room. 16th receiver off the board in a, in a class that a receiver class that people seem to like for a team that does not have an obvious number two receiver right now, they took the 16th receiver. So are they geniuses or are they slow playing it too much because they're trying to accumulate picks? I, I do think in the end, the way the picks came together to get York and Winfrey as the two bonus picks in that trade. And then to go ahead and get bell where you got him you know, makes the trade down away from the receiver at 44 more palatable. But I, I think the level of, they have to have a number two receiver on this team this year. So let's see, is Jarvis back? Do they sign another veteran who gets released and can't, you know, but if we get to the season and it's like, Oh, Deshaun Watson, Amari Cooper, and uh, uh, they're getting ready to take the field for the first offensive series of 2022. And we don't know who their second best receiver is then. No. Then this was not, then no, this wasn't right. So I understand it's a pick for the future, but I don't, you know, they better have an answer. So it's not all about the draft. It's how you put a roster together. But right now, Dan, who's their number two receiver right now? DPJ. I told you guys the answer to this before. David Njoku. I know. David Njoku. It's your, it's yeah. your I'm, I'm worried. I actually am. When I look at the makeup of this room, I'm worried about kind of the overall, like, just athleticism, the overall just like dynamic playmaking in that room. You know, Mari Cooper, we know what he is. But then after that, it's kind of like that there's no one that really gets you excited like okay this guy's gonna go out there and just be absolutely dynamic and electric and like make a bunch of plays opposite amari cooper uh, now there is the quarterback factor we'll see what impact that has on some of these younger guys but i don't see beyond cooper i don't just see the like whoa that guy scares me like crazy what am i going to do to stop this guy you know, I, I wrote about this today. We're taping this on Sunday and I analyzed and looked at the wide receiver room. I asked Paul D. Podesta this yesterday, like what, you know, what do you guys think you have in there? And, and do you, do you have enough? Do you like what you have? I, I don't think they do. I, I think they need that number two starting wide receiver. I, I think they're leaving themselves short right now. I don't think that you can count on Donovan Peoples Jones to be that guy right now, even though. I do think the Deshaun Watson factor is pretty big, but you don't know how many games he's going to play this year. So you have to take that into account. Um, you know, if he's, if he's only going to miss four games, you can get by with, um, you know, with what you have, but, um, and, and I do think that that, that is big. I think that they feel like they're going to have two 
new receivers in Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz, particularly Anthony Schwartz. I really think that they feel like Anthony Schwartz is going to flourish with Deshaun Watson because of Deshaun Watson's arm and because they think he's going to come back and take that big step up into his second year. So I think they're really looking forward to those two guys becoming something else or becoming something more than they were here. I don't think it's enough. And I, I would probably sign Will Fuller and I, I would sign Will Fuller. I think you need a Will Fuller. I, you know, I mean, it just makes too much sense to me. The reason why I say that is because look, Amari Cooper almost never misses a football game in seven seasons. He's missed like two games, his entire career, two or three games. So he's in, incredibly durable and that's good. But it, let's look at this wide receiving core right now. If Amari Cooper gets injured and can't play for four or five games, do you want that? No, they do not have another veteran receiver. So I would go out and I would sign a Will Fuller or I paid for a, a good, solid number receiver. And, and then, and only then, would I feel good, really good about this receiver room. They're missing that piece right now. Okay. Let's, uh, Doug, who's your favorite pick? Um, part of it, it's like, I don't know that I have one, which I think says something a little bit about the draft. I mean, it is, I'm obviously very glad Cade York is on the roster. I think it maybe was a little early, but you know, in the end, I get it. You have to get your guys. So I do think that's probably the best one, but, um, you know, I mean, nobody's saying their first two picks at the moment right now, which is also maybe of note that. You know, we were talking about, um, you know, we thought if they were on Andrew Booth, if he would have got, right, he got picked at 42. If he gets to 44, it's like, oh, my God, that guy's like a first-round corner. Here you go. You know, Martin Emerson is their first pick. Some people had him a fifth-round grade on him. So I guess Cade York, but overall, I think there's just like a lot of fine in this draft, a lot of fine and not a lot of pop. Yeah, I mean, I – I think we did kind of get everybody that I, that I would quantify as like my favorite pick. Um, you know, I want, I'm Martin Emerson is kind of that big lengthy corner. Uh, obviously they, they really like him higher than some people had him graded. I'm curious what happens now with Troy Hill out of the mix. Are we going to see Greg Newsom maybe, you know, start on the outside. And then when it's 11 personnel, is he going to move inside and there's an opportunity for Greedy Williams or, or Martin Emerson uh, to get some work on the outside. Uh, but it just felt like those first two picks were more like we'll probably see them in 2022, but I don't know how much we're going to see them in 2022. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't a lot to get excited about with, with those two, nothing against them, but I, you know, I, I said it on, on Friday night, it was kind of, eh, okay, that was fine. It was fine. And then beyond that, you know, Jerome Ford, Michael Woods, the second Isaiah Thomas, Dawson Deaton, that's like competition in depth. So I, I think we kind of hit on sort of the key pieces of this draft. And I think it's interesting that all of those guys weren't like the headliners, the first picks on Friday, they were like the guys right in the middle. They were Winfrey, York, David Bell, 
I think it's interesting that those were kind of the most exciting picks of, of the bunch. Let me ask you guys something. How would you have felt about this draft if they stayed right there at number 44 and taken Andrew Booth, the cornerback out of Clemson? Because I think that's what they would have done had Quazy not jumped up over them, traded up into number 42 and taken Andrew Booth Jr. How would you guys have felt about that? And then, of course, that changes the rest of the draft because you're probably going to have to try to get uh, Perry on Winfrey somewhere else and Cade York somewhere else somehow. But just from the premise of Booth at 44, what do you think? Can he play the slot? Because if he can, that would be cool. <laughs> but any, can anybody play the slot? You just said Newsom's going to play the slot. I, I, Newsom, Emerson can't Newsom play the slot, capable. right? What's that? Can that, is Emerson going to play the slot? I, a slot is tough. Yeah. Not, not everybody yeah. can just slide in there. I mean, they're, they'll try in there and they'll cross-train in there. But like Greedy Williams can't play in the slot. Yeah. Some guys, just, some guys just can't do it. I still have Dane Brugler's draft guide pulled up, and it says outside cornerback for both of those years with Brent Venables. Yes, that's what he did exclusively. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, they see it in him uh, that he has the capability. And again, you don't know until you try it. Uh, but I think the idea is for him uh, to try to be a budding nickelback. For Emerson to be that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Ashley, you were you were talking about Booth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Okay. And Emerson played exclusively on the outside too. Right. It's you know it's it's tough and it's tough in the slot. It, yeah. You know, it is. But yeah, um, just ask Denzel Ward. <laughs> yeah, I would be fine though, I would honestly be fine though if the plan was Newsom's your outside corner, and then when when the other side comes out in eleven personnel, you slide him inside, and I'm okay with using Newsom in a more versatile role. I'm perfectly I, I would be perfectly okay with that i don't think newsom has to be your 100 percent of the time outside corner if he doesn't have to be you can have him on the field for every play but you can move him around okay let's talk about some winners and losers of the weekend let's start with winners it can be a pick it can be somebody on the roster it can be somebody who's not on the roster uh doug who do you have as a winner a winner of the weekend for the draft um I feel like the AFC North won in a lot of ways, which like is not great news for the Browns, right? But it feels like a lot of people think the Ravens had a good draft. A lot of people think the Steelers had a good draft. It seems like people think the Bengals helped themselves. Um, and I, I don't know. It's one of those things. Like I've covered college football long enough that it's like, well, you kind of want your conference to be good, right? But you don't want it to be too good because you don't want it to prevent you from getting where you want to go. So is there such a thing as AFC North pride? Or people look around like, you know, man, the AFC North <laughs> is just, we're killing it, man. No. Oh, you look around and say like, oh, God, look at all the good players that everybody else got. So it, it, it's funny um, that the Ravens and now the Steelers are in the midst of it. You know, they had longtime quarterbacks, and the Ravens cycled this a long time ago with Lamar Jackson, and the, the Steelers are doing it now. But they kind of didn't fall off. They're still right there. They didn't tank, as we've said before. The Steelers are never going to tank. And the Bengals and Browns have risen up to meet them. And here we are where we feel it feels like this is a very competent football division now. One through four. So congratulations to the Browns on being surrounded <laughs> by competence, which makes their lives harder, especially six <laughs> times a year. There is no such thing as AFC North Pride. This, this isn't <laughs> a, a situation where you need the rest of the teams in your 
in your division to be good so you're highly ranked. You'd rather they all stink. <laughs> Just ask the Patriots for the past two decades, right? Doesn't matter. I, yeah. Like when the when the when the Steelers are playing the Bills, Browns fans aren't walking around saying <laughs> AFC four. <laughs> Take that AFC East. Right. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. You no. Live here. Are there Not sweatshirts? Happening. Are there sweatshirts that say AFC North that people could wear? I don't I Maybe we can get yeah, that it's started. Like, it's like when when Rob Lowe shows up in his NFL hat, people just walking around Cleveland wearing <laughs> AFC North hats. <laughs> Somebody should do that. I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm making AFC North paraphernalia. Yeah. Maybe, we, maybe we could start a, like a little AFC North pride. Like we could give out like AFC North Receiver of the Year. Yeah. AFC, AFC North. You know, get get like a little AFC North pride going. We could have a banquet. Everybody could come. We'll have it catered by some like local barbecue yeah. company or something. Yeah, <laughs> Mike, Mike Tomlin, you sit over here. You sit next to Joe Burrow over here. Uh, John Harbaugh, we're going to sit you next to Cam Hayward. It'll be great. Make everybody play like one of those icebreaker games you have to play when you first get into college, like name, favorite color and name yeah. of pet, all that mm-hmm. stuff. If and then play, we just get. If you play 10 AFC North quarters, you get a letter. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And then Bernie Kosar gives a big speech about AFC North Pride, and we're good to go. Oh, I guess he didn't play. Mm. So anyway. Well, the Rob Lowe would be the, the guest speaker, I think. Yeah. yeah. If, right. you, if you guys would come to an AFC North banquet, tweet at Dan Lobby and tell him whether you guys come. <laughs> <to Dan Lobby. laughs> yeah. yeah. Send me your RSVP. Uh, also, Ven- Venmo me your... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dan, Dan has the tickets available right now. <laughs> uh, Ashley, who do you have as a winner this weekend? Winner, you know, I'm going to go more specific than Doug, and I am just going to go with the Ravens, but it's along those same lines, right? Like, looking at their draft, their first three picks are just insane. Like, they got Kyle Hamilton, who people said maybe that was a guy who would go in the top 10, and he kind of just fell to them. Uh, then they get Iowa center, Tyler Linderbaum, which I know we talked about that. We got a live reaction to that on Friday night with myself, Dan and Doug, like knowing everything <laughs> about him and about the Ravens, that's going to be a guy who's in the center for the next like 13 years and they'll never have to worry about it again. Uh, and then they had David Ojabo fall to them in the second round. Uh, and it was like right after the Browns would have picked at 44. Um, and then he might miss his rookie season, but obviously they think it is enough of a gamble for them, for them to take. And I'm sure it certainly helps that he will be playing for the same defensive coordinator he did in college. And he'll go from playing for Jim Harbaugh to John Harbaugh as well. Um, and Odafe Owe, who's actually the reason he started playing football, uh, is going to now be his teammate. So that's great. But um, I don't know how great it'll all be for the Browns if all these picks really pan out because can't you just see like Tyler Linderbaum terrorizing AFC North defenses oh, twice a year. Who gets terrorized <laughs> by a center? <laughs> no one's getting through him. He's, he's just getting those snaps off super. Not easy. even Perry on Winfrey. He's coming to kill no. Ashley. Hopefully. Hopefully. But I do think, I do think in general, like kind of like what we talked about with the Browns, this was just a very Ravens draft. I think we said that multiple times this weekend. Um, and they got Charlie Kohler later. I forgot about him too, but um, yeah, I think they they definitely were one of the teams that I think a lot of people pegged as having a really solid draft this year. Okay, so my my winner, I wasn't going with a team. Um, actually, 
I, I had Donovan Peoples-Jones in mind as, as a winner, but we already uh-huh. had that discussion. Is David Njoku a winner? Like this weekend kind of confirmed what we kind of confirmed what we sort of knew that they were all in on him as their number one tight end. They didn't, they didn't pick a tight end this weekend. It seems like, you know, he's, he's definitely the guy. So I feel like he might've been a, I don't know, maybe he didn't have anything to, to gain or lose this weekend. I feel like he was a winner though. And certainly yeah. him and his agent are, are going to say, Hey, you know, I am <laughs> definitively your number one tight end right now. Yeah. You can make a case. You can make, you can definitely make a case for that. Um, I, I think it also uh, confirms the notion that we're going to see, we'll probably be seeing less 13 and, and less 12 this year, even. Um, so yeah, I, I would say it's make or break time for David Njoku. It's his opportunity to go out there and, and prove that he is a first round tight end. This offense at the moment is putting a lot on a guy who has 148 catches in five years. Or are they just putting a lot on the guy that they've just traded for and paid $230 million to? Exactly. <laughs> and that's the, th- mm-hmm. I mean, that's what makes the, the discussion about all these offensive players so complicated. Like, yeah. Yep. Is it them? Is it the quarterback? Is it, you know, and I, I hate to make the quarterback excuse because there are plenty of guys that have been productive with bad quarterbacks. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> But I mean, if yeah. the argument is they don't need any good skill players because Deshaun Watson is yeah. the quarterback, I would rather have the argument be they have Deshaun Watson as a the quarterback. They should give him a lot of good skill players. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I would do that. I would make sure he's got I don't think you should overestimate uh, his ability to turn, you know, Anthony Schwartz into Larry Fitzgerald. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that you should do that. Um especially because he's going to have a lot of other things that he's going to be dealing with that he hasn't had to deal with before, including a lot of weather. I mean, he's not going to be playing inside. He's not going to be playing in balmy weather. Uh, He's going to have a a lot of games, a a fair amount of games where he's going to have to deal with the elements. And then I think the defenses are so good. I think the defenses in the AFC North uh, are pretty darn good. And he's going he's, he's gonna to have a lot on his plate that way. So I don't think you want to you know, think that he's just going to be a savior and all of a sudden all these guys are going to be great. But I do think that the Browns really, really feel like you're going to be seeing a different David and a different Anthony and a different Donovan Peoples-Jones with Deshaun Watson throwing them the ball. Scott, who do you have as a winner? Yeah, I had Donovan Peoples-Jones too. Like, like you said, you had, and I know we already had that conversation. Um, I Nobody other than Amari Cooper has had more than 40 catches in a season uh, in that wide receiver room. So the path is there for him to be uh, on the field as the number two guy. Uh, you know, if they had taken somebody at 44 uh, or traded for somebody else other than Cooper, then, you know, that's, I think that puts his, his future here into question. But right now, I mean, he has as good a chance as anybody to, to claim that he's been the most efficient receiver for the Browns over the past two years. He's been one of the best, uh, receivers in the league in terms of efficiency over the last two years. Uh, it's just a, a volume thing for him. He hasn't really gotten, you know, his rookie year, obviously he didn't get on the field until people were hurt. And then last year that, you know, we all know what the issues were. So I'll change my pick. Can I say Wayne Newton is my winner? Because <laughs> I was legitimately 
surprised when I saw him on the screen. I don't know why I didn't think he was alive, but <laughs> I like Wayne Newton is still, I Googled him. He's only 80. I would have guessed like much older than that, but <laughs> I, that was really a surprising moment for me. So Bonka Shane to Wayne Newton, man. That's Good funny. job being alive. And married to a local girl, local Cleveland girl. Yeah, we we should get just... him on the podcast. Does he want to come on Orange and Brown Talk? Sure, we can get him on. <laughs> Why sure not? Get him on. Wayne Newton, welcome to the podcast. Congratulations <laughs> on being alive. <laughs> the, other, the other thing about um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and uh, and I put this in, in my little plug in my uh, wide receiver story here a lot today, um, but I think he's going to do better when, he, when he's not drawing the opponent's number one cornerback. I think that's going to be huge for him this year when that guy goes on Amari Cooper and it leaves Donovan with the second cornerback. I think it's going to help him a lot. That was, I think, too, a huge difference with him in college. Like, I think that's a big part of the reason why he struggled so much in college and in those opening, you know, that opening year, especially his first year here, why he was able to produce a little more, I think, because he wasn't drawing that attention because Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. were drawing that attention. So um, I think he got started to get it a little more this year, and I'm curious how he handles that. Okay, Mary Kay, who is your winner? Well, I don't know for sure if this guy is going to be a winner. Uh, It remains to be seen, but I think it's a discussion worth having. Uh, So I'm going to throw it out there. My winner is Jadavian Clowney because I think there's still a chance that they're going to sign Jadavian Clowney. And I know that they drafted Alex Wright. And I do think that he's going to be part of the defensive rotation right away, but I still think they could use Jadavian to be the starter in there, or at least to be part of the rotation. So I think they, I still think they need Jadavian. I don't think anything that happened on this weekend made me think that, uh, that they don't need him anymore. I still think that would be a good move for them. And Miles Garrett, uh, we know that he's got the endorsement of Miles Garrett. I think that's meaningful. I mean, at this point, if Miles raises his hand and says he wants somebody on the team, I think that's worth something, not everything, but something. So that's my guy. I would, I'd go ahead and get that done. So right now they have uh, five defensive, uh, five guys listed as defensive ends on their roster. That includes Curtis Weaver. Uh, the others are, are guys they've signed or Miles Garrett. They also drafted two. They've got a lot of defensive ends all of a sudden. Are, are they just kind of hedging Mary Katie? I mean, do you think that's what they're doing here just in case? Well, I think that um, once again, remember, as they go through the next, you know, few years or whatever, they, you know, they gave up a lot of picks in the Deshaun Watson. So I think they're building for the future as they move along. So some of these guys are developmental guys. Um, but so for this year, I still think they could use that proven guy. I think they're going to develop, uh, you know, an Isaiah Thomas. Uh, and I think to a certain extent, they'll develop Alex Wright. But I still think that, that you got to have somebody that, that's done it and that's proven in there. And you're right. They have a lot of bodies right now. They've got a lot of bodies. Not everybody's going to be able to, uh, to make the roster. 
we spent a lot of time this offseason discussing whether the pick at 44 would be more like Jarvis Landry's replacement at receiver or Jadavion Clowney's replacement at defensive end. And it turns out they traded down and drafted Troy Hill's replacement. So we're sort of at the same spot with like, are they bringing back Jarvis? Are they doing something at receiver? Are they bringing back Jadavion? Are they doing something at edge? That discussion, as it turns out, I don't think, I mean, Bell probably affects it to some degree, but I don't know that either of those, right, Mary Kay? Do you think right. both Landry and Clowney are alive? Whereas maybe depending how the draft fell, one of those could have been much less alive given who they picked? Well, I, I think to a, to a certain extent, maybe both of them are a little less alive because they did get uh, you know, a third round defensive end. And, you know, you could probably, you know, plug him in there and have him be your starter. And then you've got all these other guys that you uh, can rotate in there and you've got Chase Winovich and you could get by. Um, so I think it makes Jadavian a little bit less likely. I think David Bell makes Jarvis a little bit less likely. I think Jadavian is a little bit more alive than Jarvis right now. Um, I think that we started to see even, you know, in the pre-draft presser when Andrew Barry was like, well, yeah, he's going to be, Jarvis will be successful wherever he plays this year. I think, I think the vibe sort of does, it doesn't, I'm not feeling front burner Jarvis right now. I actually almost think, like I said before, and I have no indication that, that Will Fuller is even on the radar right now, but I almost feel like that kind of guy might make more sense to them right now. And then you throw David Bell into the slot. Um, so I think that's where it stands. But I would still go out and I would sign Jadavian for sure. So our official Orange and Brown Talk Alive rankings. Jadavian Clowney one, Wayne Newton two, Jarvis Landry three. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. I I I mean, I actually this this uh moves along well. I had Jarvis Landry as my biggest loser this weekend, mm. just in relation to the Browns. Um and by the way, I would I I still think you got to bring back Jadavian. I would, I think that, I think that's still the move, but yeah, it, it's just, when you add talent like this, sometimes it feels a little less likely, but I, I had him as my biggest loser just because, you know, David Bell is not a super fast athlete. Uh, the other receiver they drafted um, it, it's not like this super fast burner guy, Michael Woods. He's I not mean, athletic. You're saying he's not athletic. <laughs> <laughs> kind of um I, I mean Jarvis is not known for his athleticism right he's known for kind of being you know he's twitchy he's a great route runner he's got great hands but he's not you know he's not a burner by any sense and I'm sure his 40 time was slower than David Bell's and and um and Michael Woods is so I don't know at, at some point it's like how many I, I hate to use the word slow it's such an insulting word to these but how many slow receivers are you going to have on your roster? So I, I kind of had Jarvis as like maybe the loser this weekend in relation to the Browns, at least. I did too, Dan. So I I'm, I'm right with you on that. I had Jadavian sort of as, as the winner. Cause I felt like he stayed a little bit more alive than Jadavian did. David Bell felt to me very like anti Jarvis. It felt like, Oh, they're probably not going to do this now. Like, like I don't know younger, that for sure. Younger, cheaper Jarvis. Yeah, I was just going to say, Andrew Barry got asked about it like this weekend and he gave another one. It was like his third 
Jarvis answer this offseason that we've heard where it kind of felt like a goodbye. Like he was essentially like, oh, he'll have success wherever he goes type of thing. And it just felt like that wherever he goes probably wasn't going to be back to Berea. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's Jarvis. That's who I had. So Mary Kay, you had him too as a loser. Uh, Doug, who did you have? The quarterbacks in this class as a whole, which is not a surprise, which I do think makes the winners next year's quarterback class, because it feels like there are 10 teams positioning themselves to draft CJ Stroud a year from now, but that everybody bailed to the extent that they did. Um, I was surprised by, cause I still think there were some guys to like, so as bad as some people thought this quarterback class was, it turns out that it was worse than anybody could have imagined. So, um, and I, maybe some of those guys, maybe Malik Willis in Tennessee or Desmond Ritter wound up in the right spot. I don't know. Third round quarterbacks I've hit before, but I just always feel that the, the worst thing about the draft is when your expectations are not met. So all those guys, it's like, listen, third round. Wow. Who, uh, you're a third round pick in the NFL draft. That's awesome. But when you thought you were going in the first, then it kind of blows a hole in your weekend, man. So I just, I feel bad for some of those guys. And, and I actually do think they ended up getting underdrafted. I think teams, some of the quarterback needy teams, I thought backed off too much. So, oh, well. Did anybody read it yet? I, I, started to I saw the headline of it yesterday and I was very intrigued by it and I want to read it and I think it was by Connor uh Connor or somebody wrote uh, a story saying that the NFL proved in this draft or this draft weekend that they have no imagination for quarterbacks like that's dead and they've lost it and it looks like a good article I'm looking forward to reading I'm gonna have to go find it somewhere but I kind of felt the same way I I felt that um you know I think there's something I thought there was something about Malik Willis that was worth investing uh, something higher than a third round pick in. And um, I could be very wrong about that. I wasn't, and I've said this before, I wasn't as sure about him as I was about Josh Allen when Josh Allen was coming out. I wasn't as sure about Malik, but intrigued. I was intrigued by him, by the traits, by the arm, by the mobility, by the character, by the personality, by the willingness to work and, play chess to learn strategy and there's just something about him I don't know so um I hope that he proves everybody wrong I really do I hope he proves everybody wrong I just thought of this baseball's boring now because it's all walks and home runs I feel like the NFL in a quarterback evaluation is walks and home runs if you don't think you're going to hit a home run you'll pass so people were like is Patrick Mahomes in this draft no all right let's let it go let's let Matt Corral or Sam Howell, whoever it was, I get those guys mixed up, fall to the fifth round. Yeah. Because it's like, we'd rather have no quarterback. We either want Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Right. Or literally no quarterback. Right. We don't want to try on Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis or somebody. We'll just take Marcus Mariota because he's fine. But he's just a placeholder for the home run we're going to try to hit next year or the year after. And at some point, are you going to have 32 home runs in the league? And maybe if you, you know, hit a little opposite field single and bump the runner over and then get a sacrifice fly, eventually you'll score a run anyway. So I don't know if we've gone off the deep end of quarterback home. I should write this down. (laughs) Have we gone off the deep end of of all or nothing with quarterback stuff? Yes, I I think so. I can't wait to read that. 
I, I want to read your column, Doug, write that column, because there were guys that were going off the board before Malik Willis went. I was like, really? I mean, come on, you're going to take a guy that like none of us have ever heard of. Nobody's ever heard of this guy. When you can take a chance on even developing a quarterback yeah. for your football team and seeing what you got somewhere, like at least in the second round, come on. Ashley, who was your biggest loser this weekend? Uh, I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield because he is still on the Browns. They did not find a way to move him. So the Browns are kind of mixed in there a little bit, right? Because this still isn't wrapped up. Uh, and I just think too, like the other part of this is we've talked about this. I can't remember if it was on a previous podcast or just amongst ourselves. Like Sam Howell had to wait a really long time to get drafted. Like teams didn't want this other version of Baker Mayfield either. And teams didn't want to trade for the Baker Mayfield. Um, so obviously I think just the, the Panthers thing falling apart, uh, at least for now, uh, for what we know that that definitely hurts. And it's kind of like, okay, where do you go from here? And it's like, we've talked about it essentially become a, you kind of have to wait for that opportunity to arise via injury or something else. So I, I just think it's the unclarity of it all puts it in the loser category for me. So we've, we've spent millions of hours talking about Baker Mayfield. So I want to turn this over to the emotions podcast. And I want to ask, <laughs> do we feel, are we starting to feel a little bad for Baker? I am. I am. Gotta, and and, and Ashley, this, yes. <laughs> Ashley, this is a good, this is a good loser of the weekend. That's an excellent, that's an excellent choice. That's a, that's a really good one. Um, can't believe I didn't think of it myself, but anyways, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in myself right now, uh, but I have been starting to feel bad for, for Baker Mayfield, but that's just, it's, that's my nature. I feel like bad for everybody. I mean, I always feel bad for everybody, no matter what. Um, and I do, I feel, I, I feel, I feel bad that, uh, that he is stuck in this situation, that he's not somewhere trying to figure out his, you know, new team, moving on, putting this aside, because when all is said and done, and I think the thing that the, the place where he made his big tactical error was in asking to be traded after Deshaun Watson turned them down, they yep. go back to him and they're like, you're our guy. We want you to start for us in 2022. Show us what you got. And he was like, uh-uh, not happening. So that's where, um, you know, that's where he went wrong in all of this. But um, I still feel like, you know, because he gave his heart and soul to this town and to this football team, and he was the, he gets us, I'm talking about Browns fans, not us. He was the, he gets us guy. I just feel bad that it didn't work out for, for him, for Browns fans. He brought a lot of young, young Browns fans back into the fold. I mean, I'm telling you there, he had a cult following of, of probably, especially people, you know, between the ages of, you know, 15 and, and 30 ish. Right. I mean, he brought back all of those lost fans into the fold and got people excited about this football team again. And I do think it's sad and somewhat unfortunate that it had to end this way where it's a messy divorce and it's ugly and it's, 
it just it's just a negative black mark on you know the organization i i feel bad that it had to turn out like this see for me the reason that I don't, you laid it out so well, Mary Kay, but the reason that I can't fully bring myself to feel bad for him is because of what you said, what, that he demanded a trade mm-hmm. after Deshaun Watson, you know, so the, the version of events that we know turned them down. Yeah. And if he doesn't do that, then maybe this situation doesn't exist. So for me, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not just about that one incident. It was about Baker just once again, kind of not showing that self-control that people have criticized him for. That obviously is a part of what makes Baker Baker when he's at his best. That's part of the flag planting Baker persona. And he has to have that edge to him, I think, to be successful on the field. But sometimes it's it's not what is needed. And, and I do feel bad that it, like you said, for all the reasons that of what I think he meant to the turnaround. But again, that's obviously not a reason to not go out and get a quarterback if you believe he is your franchise guy and Baker Mayfield is not. Um, and that's not a reason to give him a huge extension either. Um, but for me, it's just it's just hard to fully feel bad and emotional <laughs> for that, if we're going to call it the emotions pod, about it when Baker Mayfield, in theory right now, from what we know, did kind of have a hand in how this has played out. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in Scott's immediate shaking of the head no when that question was asked. <laughs> Scott, you're up. I'm dead inside, so I do not feel <laughs> one way or another. But I did have him as my loser as well, by the way. Oh, good um, for you. That was smart. I did not feel bad when the Browns started trolling him by drafting all those Oklahoma guys. I'm assuming that's why they did that. And I one think, Texas so. Tech guy. One Texas yes. Tech guy at the very yes, end. That's, that's a deep troll there. I um, even wrote that in one of my stories yesterday, that if you didn't know any better, you might think the Browns were trolling Baker Mayfield right now. No, I, I mean... Yeah, I mean, he he had as much to do with where the situation is at uh, as anybody, and and I would argue that OBJ has made maybe as many Browns fans over the last few years as as Baker did, uh, especially in 2019. So I don't know. It, I still think he was a loser this weekend because of what happened with Carolina. The fact that he's still here, that nothing significant it seems was uh, was gained as far as getting him out the door. You know, he's just kind of in limbo. It's fluid, as as Andrew Barry likes to keep saying so yeah can i i will say do we think it's that the 2018 draft was the last draft in nfl history where baker mayfield would have had any chance to be the number one pick because it feels like so that actually makes he hit right at the end Mm -mm. because i don't think there's going to be a six foot moderately athletic quarterback taken at number one ever again because Kyler Murray's the next year. We see what Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen do in his class. Joe Burrow is a bigger, more athletic guy. Patrick Mahomes comes. Deshaun Watson, you know, they're the year ahead, but they develop into what they are. We're talking about everybody swinging for a home run. Baker Mayfield's not a home run. So, like, actually, I'm not – if he was out now, we just said, right, Ashley, you just said it, it's a Sam Howell comparison. Right. Nobody thought – Sam Howell, number one, are you kidding? Like, I almost – he – He's hanging on by his fingernails. And, you know, yeah, he has $18.5 million. So he'll but be wait fine. a minute, Doug. Did you say was the last 2018 was the last time he would be the first quarterback pick or the first the number one pick? Or the number one or the number one quarterback? I think like a high first round, not like Kenny Pickett yeah. going 20. I think like I, a, a top five. Then yeah. I was going to say no. I think he would have been the top pick in this draft and a high pick, a high first round pick in this draft in 2022. I, th- I think more than anything, 
the precedent that he set and that Sam Darnold set is we're going to see teams hesitate to pick up fifth-year options, not just on quarterbacks, but on other players as well. Expensive fifth-year options. If I'm Arizona, I'm freaked out by Kyler Murray's $29 million fifth-year option. Like, uh, that would scare me if I, w- if I was Arizona. So I, th- I think that's the change that we're going to see here because people are seeing like, oh, the Browns picked it up and it felt like a no-brainer at the time. No one argued it. No one was like, what are they doing, those idiots, picking up that fifth-year option? It's fully guaranteed. But now the Browns can't move him because he makes $18.8 million and he's like at best – 15th to 20th in the league among quarterbacks. So I think that's the change that, that comes with Baker Mayfield. Like if you're not sure under these new CBA rules, you're not picking up that fifth year option. Now, ironically under the old CBA, that money probably would have become guaranteed anyway, cause he was hurt, but that's, that's just kind of a coincidence. I, I think that's the change we're going to see. And we already saw it with Daniel Jones, just as one example. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Those Daniel Jones, that level of quarterback, they're, they're not getting, they're not going to be getting their fifth year options anymore. Cautionary tale. <laughs> All right. There was our emotions podcast. I, I want to feel bad for Baker, but I can't for a lot of the reasons Ashley said, Ashley kind of made my argument for me. Like <laughs> he kind of brought a lot of this. On also it's a business. I don't know. Like I have a really hard time feeling bad about this. And Baker does like Baker said, he doesn't owe us anything. Yeah. All right, then I guess we don't really owe you anything. So wait a minute. Am I the only one on this pod that feels bad for Baker Mayfield? It's because you're the only mom on this pod. I was just going to say, I think it's because I do have kids in that, that age group. And I, you know, you fight with them, you go head to head. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, what can I, can I make you some. (laughs) I'm now envisioning someday. Someday, if Ashley chooses to do this with her life, I'm imagining Ashley in the hospital with her newborn looking down and saying, no, I understand, Baker, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm imagining Mary Kay down the road with Baker, like offering to make him some tea the next time she sees him now and having a nice oh, chat. I have a feeling, I mean, no. I mean, what if, what if Baker and I someday, like, you know, we mend the fences and we, I don't know, go golfing together or oh something? Yeah. <laughs> Try jet skis in Lake Travis. <laughs> oh, God. So All right. funny. We're going to take a break. There's one more thing I want to ask you guys. This is just a general draft question, but we'll, di- we'll hit it after the break here. Back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. One last thing I just want to ask you guys, because Mary Kay and I were, were sitting in, the, in the, the media room this week, and I think, Mary Kay, we officially got the draft down to about three rounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think by the time the weekend was done, we we figured out the three rounds of the sweet spot. But I'm I'm curious. I've got a pitch that I think is just killer. I think it would put ratings to the roof. But I want to know what if you could change anything about the NFL draft. You're Roger Goodell, and the owners say to you, "You're allowed to change anything about the draft. Fire away. What would you change?" Mary Kay, is it just that? Like, let's make this thing like five rounds long, and then just everybody's a free agent. I think I would make it in Vegas every year and I would make it mandatory for all reporters to have to come and cover it (laughs) in Vegas. Uh, No, I I do like five rounds. Seven rounds is too much. Seven rounds is too much. Go five and then just start signing after that. 
to build on that idea, Dan, I believe we were talking about over the weekend, like what if there was just like a career fair type atmosphere for these guys who go undrafted, you walk around to your little tables for each team, they talk to you, they say if they like you, they give you an offer, you get all your offers, and then you can decide and it's all right there in one spot. Yeah, it would be like in the, like, you know, sort of at the, they could do it in Indianapolis, like the combine. You could just be yeah. in the convention center and you go. Yeah, they, they already have a sit down. Line. Andrew Barry's on the other side of the table. Kevin Stefanski's there. You're a tight end, and Kevin is saying, "Listen, have you seen my offense? This you, is where you want to work?" They already have the formula. They just need to plug in different numbers. And then my like semi-serious idea, which I know this comes up repeatedly, is make it a draft lottery like the NBA, because there's been so much talk about tanking lately. That kind of take some incentive out to now I know in the NBA, you see you, they say that, right. And then some teams still tank and still try to get the number one pick. But I, I do kind of like that idea instead of having it based solely on records to have the ping pong balls, wind it up and kind of see how weird it gets. Okay. So, so this, the draft lottery was a part of my idea because Roger Goodell actually said this weekend. He did talk about it this weekend. Yes. Here's my draft lottery idea. Now the NFL likes everything at events. So they would blow the NBA draft lottery out of the water. And I say, don't make it a separate show. You do the lottery the night of Thursday morning and nobody knows when they're picking who's in the lottery. So Roger Goodell walks up, he's got the envelope. Nobody's seen the lottery results. And he's like, Cleveland Browns, you are on the clock with the number one overall pick. I love this. And then they've got to scramble. They've got 10 minutes now to decide who. And then and then everybody's like, then you don't know who's number two until you're on the clock. Now, this would just be the lottery, but like you'd walk up to the stage. Detroit, you're on the clock. <laughs> oh, my God. We got 10 minutes. Do we want to trade the pick? Do we want to pick somebody? That's I want the it, chaos. It would be I would, I would watch drama. That. It would be Emmy-worthy HBO Sunday night drama. Give it to me. Like you wouldn't even you wouldn't even know when you're picking until you are actually on the clock. Every every war room would look like that meme from Community, <laughs> where you know you walk in, there's, there's a fire burning, people are running around, and it would be insanity. Yes, just very quickly. This is very entertaining. This, of course, is insane. <laughs> you have 10 minutes to determine the entire future of your franchise and whether everybody involved in the draft process is going to have jobs next year because you thought you might be picking 12th and now you're picking second. Well, I don't know. Stay true to your board at that point. You know you're a lottery team. Do all the prep required. This isn't draft day. They're, they're not not doing prep on Bo yeah, Callahan ahead of yeah, time. The GM's not rolling out of bed on draft no. day, taking a slow ride into work. You think you had the ninth pick, but there's a 3% chance you might have the number one pick. So then you have to go scout CJ Stroud for six months. And then you wind up with the ninth pick and you're like, well, that was wasted because we have no chance to get him. I love it. I I want less entertainment. You guys want more entertainment. I just want the draft to be about football. Who was the casual football fan? Who's like, I'm not so sure about this draft, but I heard Chris Angel's going to be dangling above the stage. So I'm going to tune in. It's insane. Who is the audience that they're trying to appeal to? Great memes came out of that, though. It's ridiculous. It's a waste of my time. Make it about football. It is about football. Who is watching it not for the football? It's like, oh, this is a nice, this is a pretty good riff. Oh, look, the honk, the donkey boys. The donkey boys came out, and one guy was on the other one's shoulder, 
Seriously, there's every YouTuber and Twitcher and live streamer in the world is announcing a pick. Can we have the draft be about, I'm spinning, about football for real? Wait, that's, you don't like, you don't like, the, young. you don't like the blue man group? Come on. Yeah. Oh my God, Doug, I think you just like read what I, I, I died down, like ditch the award show vibe. That's what I wrote down. It's yes. like, I, I am totally on board with this. I don't need to see Mind Freak or Weezer. Like, I, I don't. Teacher of the year, not that we shouldn't recognize teachers, but like, I don't need that at the draft. I don't need Ed Marinero rambling for however long he rambled. Oh. Like, it it's just the whole thing's baby. gotten too unwieldy. It's like, it's, I know they want to make it a big TV spectacle, but like, you make it longer, more involved. You have people around the world reading off picks. Nobody, nobody asked for that. Nobody, nobody watched the draft and thought, you know what? We really need somebody in Germany uh, reading off who the Bucks are going to pick. It's just, it's stupid. Wait a minute. It's way too long. It's just, nobody wants that. It was supposed to have a Vegas flair and a Vegas vibe to it. You got to have a little Chris Angel. Somebody tweeted that that was Andrew Berry trying to get out of the Baker Mayfield contract. contract. It, it was. That was a great tweet. That was a great tweet that we got out of that. It made me laugh. Scott Patsko. Scott Patsko. Do, do that at your end of the year awards show. Move that around the country. Yeah, Take it to Vegas. You can have oh. all sorts of crazy stuff happening on stage at your awards ceremony. But like for the draft, I, I don't know. It's tell me who they're picking. I you blew my whole weekend, NFL. I'm just saying, yes. you know. Oh, no, no, no. I disagree with you guys. I think a little pageantry is fun. I like entertainment. I like being entertained. I like fun things. I had no problem with it. It's Vegas. I think you got to bring a little bit of that Vegas flair and vibe to it. No problem with any of that. Listen, I got a bunch, I got a bunch of half-baked ideas that they can really gimmick stuff up. So oh, I, I, got, I got another one. Uh, I got one along your lines. Uh, if you made the playoffs, you don't get to draft anybody the next year. <laughs> so you got 18 picks and it's only five rounds We're we're in and out. Like we're done by Friday night and you got the whole weekend. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you want parody? There you go. You just get no new players. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could sign <laughs> undrafted people. Agents, right. Yeah. Undrafted pre-agents. Yeah. But you don't draft anybody. And again, everybody else is only drafting five people or, you know, well, it's five rounds. So I actually wouldn't mind Vegas every year. I thought that that was a cool background. I thought it looked cool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that. Well, especially because Cleveland's gotten theirs. So just leaving it, leave it in Vegas now. Although I do, there is, there is a point there of like, I don't think someone who's never watched the NFL was debating like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll watch, uh, maybe I'll watch some Ozark this weekend. Oh, wait, no. No, Chris Angel is on the NFL draft. I'm going to watch that. What was that? That was that was an illusion. He just spun around until like gravity helped him get the jacket off. That was, I don't even. I watched that. And I'm like, is this supposed to be impressive? Now, if he would know, he would have been up there the whole I, night. I mean, he was yeah. yelling and stuff, but there used to be YouTube videos of this guy who would debunk all of Chris Angel's like acts. I don't know that that were on his like A and E show. Scott, you should join him and create a series. You know, the other problem I had with this whole Vegas thing is that I was led to believe way back when they first were awarded the uh, the draft that players would be ferried to the stage. Yes, on a boat. they were supposed to be on a boat. Yes. What happened to that? I wanted to see that. Like that had like potential for chaos. Yeah. But we, we never got the ferry on the boat. Nothing. Because I remember a big disappointment. 
at the combine that year, those guys, those 2020 combine guys were really excited for that boat setup. It came up with just about everyone. I saw that uh, Mind Freak show. I saw Chris Angel do that live just in July, by the way. Well, I hope Angel it was better than what we saw. At the Chris Angel show. just dangling upside down on the draft and going, New York Jets, you're on the clock. Oh, my God. <laughs> the 23rd uh, pick in the 2022 NFL draft has drowned. Yes. Oh <laughs> Capsized. We want to pick this guy, but just can he swim? <laughs> Speaking of football talk, before we leave, I just want to say I thought Jerome Ford was a bad pick. And I don't know what it means for Dearness Johnson. I don't like Dearness Johnson that much. He's a third running back to me. And I don't think Jerome Ford's better than Dearness Johnson. I thought that was a very odd pick. I think he's very average. And I thought they could have gotten a lot, gotten a lot more out of that fifth round pick. So I, I what why what's he what is he? Is he Kareem Hunt leaving after this year? Insurance? Is he just, yeah, it's a fifth round. What are you going to do? Does it spell I, I, the end me, of Dearness Johnson? What is he? It struck me as a combination of the, the those two things you said. The what if Kareem Hunt leaves slash we don't know what else to do. Like, because he does the, the, the fact that he was active in the past game in Cincy, which again, really was only for one year. We didn't see a lot of that in his previous years and really none of it in Alabama, like that got brought up multiple times. That's kind of what it struck me as. And obviously that's what Kareem Hunt does so well for them. So I don't know. I thought, I thought it was, I thought the, the Ford and Michael Woods picks were very average. I, I didn't know what they were doing, That the fact that we've praised them for late upside swings on people's Jones and Demetric belt in the past two years. And it was like, Oh no, they didn't do that in this draft. I just thought a lot of what Cincinnati did last year, I think Cincinnati had nine guys drafted. I thought it was all real. I thought Desmond Redder was real. Alec Pierce was real. And the defense was real. I thought Ford was the thing that was the most like, uh, he was good against Temple and he wasn't as good against when they played power five teams. I just thought it was a, I thought it was a very odd pick. Yeah. What is he a return man? What is he? We'll have to see what their thinking is. I don't know. Yeah. He like didn't, he did not really do special teams in college. Right. Like, so they were like, oh, maybe he can, We'll try. We'll get him working with brief. I think was the exact quote. Yeah, but if he is a if he is a special teamer, he's going to be doing like coverage stuff because they they have that return guy. The future and Kareem Hunt's future could play into it. Uh, there's also the fact that they gave Dernis Johnson the lowest tender possible, so I think that might have told you what they really think about him, and the fact that every running back looks good running behind the Browns' offensive line, right. like everybody. Yeah. So. Well, he might not, Ford might not have done things at Cincinnati that wowed you. Um, putting him behind the Browns offensive line could, could make him look better. Cause I'm sure Dernis Johnson didn't exactly do things in college that would have made thing, you think he could have the games all, he's had here. The th- it feels like Dernis like can slither through a hole. Sometimes it feels like the knock, the analyst knock on Ford is his vision. And it's like, well, then it doesn't matter how good your line is if you can't find the hole. So I don't, I don't know. I just thought, I, th- I thought once that was part of like, once they took York, it's like, Hey, York at 124. And then I thought like everything else they did, it's like, there's a lot of draft left. I thought everything else they did after York was like, Ugh. they had Fine. too many, they had too many picks. Would you re- rather have had Tyreek Smith there? Oh, that's who I thought they were. I mean, I said um, Tyreek Smith for the Browns at 156 looks good to me. And then he goes at 158 right after him. Right. But I think Tyreek Smith is much more of a real, Upside swing. He battled a lot, of, a lot of injuries in college. He's at a position of need. It's more impactful than running back. So I just thought 
we've praised them for upside swings late in the past. And then I feel like they took zero. Now, oh, I get it. Jerome Ford. And by the way, just so everybody knows, the college football coaches these days land helicopters at your game all the time. If you're not getting a helicopter landed at your game, you're not a very good recruit. James Franklin gets in a helicopter on Friday nights at Penn State and flies up and down the eastern seaboard. So the fact that Nick Saban did that for Jerome Ford, Nick Saban did that for like 60 guys that year. So I get it. He wasn't good enough to play at Alabama. He was like a good American conference running back who put up gigantic stats against Temple. So I'm not trying to rip him. I just thought it was an odd pick. So I didn't think they took the upside swings they usually take. There's no Demetrius Felton in this draft. I, I agree with that. I was surprised by the guys they took late. Like they were older and they weren't like those traits guys. Like that was one of the things we kind of thought we knew about yeah. him. Very like he's going to take chances on guys late in the draft. And yeah, he didn't, didn't really do that at all. Um, okay. I think we hit everything here on our, uh, our draft recap. So we'll wrap it up there. Make sure you're a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns and blue banner at the top of the page. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen, Apple podcasts and Spotify uh, for Mary Kate, Doug, Ashley, and Scott. I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>